The time has come, so turn up the sound. It's time for Buried Broadway. Hiya. Hello. I'm Jen Beverelli. And I'm Mikey Beverelli. And welcome to... Buried Buried Broadway, Broadway, where we discover, dissect, and demystify forgotten Broadway musicals that we most likely found on vinyl for a dollar. So, Mikey. Yes, Jen. How's it going? It's Christmas time. It is Christmas, and it's only here for like a blink of an eye, Mm -hmm. it feels like. It really is. So, we've been cramming in the Christmas, even when we don't feel like it, because (laughs) before we know it, it'll be gone. And Christmas just doesn't feel the same in January. Because mm-hmm. horror movies, I can watch 11 months out of the year. But Christmas movies really can only be watched in December. I mean, you can watch them at other times, but it just doesn't feel right. That's my personal rule. So maybe. we've been cramming in all of the traditional movies that we watch and also the new Hallmark movies. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. We also have a Christmas adjacent show for you today (laughs) there is mention of christmas but it doesn't feel supremely christmasy to me yes there's plenty of mention of christmas i feel like christmas is mentioned like maybe every other page really i think so well let us know if you feel like this is a christmas show or not (laughs) We are obviously not sure. Now, before I forget, I do want to tell you this has nothing to do with Christmas, but my episode of the original cast is going to be out very soon. So if you want to hear me talk about musicals even more, you can head on over there. And I'm talking with Patrick Flynn about... Oh, oh, they're playing our song. Oh, yeah, they're playing our song. And if you don't know, they're playing our song. I think we'll probably have to cover it on our podcast because I'm that obsessed with it. We definitely will. And you just singing that um, has made it stuck in my head. And it's going to probably play in there for this entire episode. No, there's going to be other earworms in this show. Yes. We just have to get to them. So let's keep going. But first, housekeeping. <laughs> Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Buried Broadway for more trivia and photos about today's show. To see all the citations and resources we use to research this episode, become a bookworm brain on our Patreon for just $4 a month. And to hear our blooper reel for this episode, you can become a blooper boo for $8 a month at patreon.com backslash buried broadway or go to the link on our website. If you want to get in touch, just follow this address. It's B-E-V-A-R-E-L-L-I dot com. So today, the special Christmassy show we chose for you is called Flahooly. What? Is that even English? <laughs> Well, we're going to find out. Fluhuli has a book by E.Y. Harburg and Fred Sadie. Music is by Sammy Fain. Lyrics are by E.Y. Harburg. We bought this album especially for you guys Mm -hmm. because we wanted to do a Christmas episode from Gruff's Vinyl down in Florida. And they were super nice and threw in some sheet music. 
Flahuli had out-of-town tryouts in New Haven, Connecticut, and Philadelphia, and received good reviews. It opened on Broadway on May 14, 1951, at the Broadhurst Theater, where we have seen both Anastasia and Jagged Little Pill. And a few years before, I saw a revival of Les Mis. Flahuli ran for only 40 performances, closing about a month later. Other shows that were playing at the time include The King and I that opened just two months prior. Guys and Dolls. Kiss Me Kate was in its third year of its run. South Pacific. And Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Fahuli was not nominated for any Tonys. Womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> but this show did give us, in her Broadway debut, <laughs> Barbara Cook playing Sandy. Now, if you don't know Barbara Cook, we're going to go into a little bit about her right now because she is just that important. She was born on October 25th, 1927 in Atlanta, Georgia. Her father was a traveling salesman and her mother was a telephone operator for Southern Bell, which is now part of AT&T. When Barbara Cook was three, she passed along her whooping cough onto her 18-month-old sister who also had pneumonia, and the combination of the two was too much for a baby, and she died. Uh, this tragedy left Barbara's parents so broken that they divorced, and Barbara was raised by her mother. The two lived on the verge of poverty with Barbara's grandmother and three aunts in a two-bedroom apartment. The two had a close, almost too close relationship. Barbara said herself that they slept in the same bed together until Barbara moved to New York City in 1948. That was when she was 20 years old. In New York, she worked as a typist and file clerk while she auditioned and booked the occasional nightclub gig as a singer. She made her Broadway debut, like I just said, three years after moving to New York in this show, Flahuli. And while it didn't win her any Tony Awards, it did get her noticed, and she was cast as Ado Annie in Oklahoma in the City Center Revival. Barbara was married to famed acting coach David LeGrant on March 9, 1952, and the two performed together the following year in the National Tour of Oklahoma. In 1954, City Center had her back for another Rodgers and Hammerstein show, Carousel, as Carrie Pipperidge. According to her, this was the role that really got her notice as Broadway's new It Girl. This began a slew of Broadway shows, including Plain and Fancy, Candide, Carousel again, this time as Julie Jordan, The Music Man, which she left about halfway through the three-year run to have her only child, Adam, in 1959, The King and I, The Gay Life, She Loves Me, Any Wednesday, Something More in 1965, which is the same year that she divorced LeGrant and fell in love with her co-star, Arthur Hill. Little Murders. The Grass Harp. And Enemies. She won a Tony Award for The Music Man as Best Supporting or Featured Actress in a Musical, which makes no sense because she all. played Marion, <laughs> which I consider to be the lead. What? Absolutely bizarre. She was nominated for that same award with Sondheim on Sondheim in 2010. She has three Olivier Award nominations, two for her concert, Barbara Cook Sings Mostly Sondheim, and one for another one-woman show. 
In the early 70s, she began drinking more and fell into a huge bout of depression. She began to crawl out of the depression when she met Wally Harper, a pianist who suggested Barbara create a solo concert. The two worked together for 30 years. She struggled with her weight for the remainder of her life and joined AA in the late 80s. She kept performing mostly one-woman shows and did participate in a few more scripted shows, including Carrie in 1988. But she was in the out-of-town tryouts and was replaced by another legend, Betty Buckley. She received a Kennedy Center Honors in 2011 for her life's work and wrote an autobiography called Then and Now in 2016. She died at 89 years old on August 8, 2017. So typically we like reading the back cover summary, but this one didn't have one. So, Which made our life really fun. Yes. So uh, we read the entire script. Just the two of us. Yes. We played all the roles. <laughs> so, so typically when we do this show, Jen doesn't know the story. You definitely missed hearing my genuine reactions of me yelling about things. I will try to recreate them as genuinely as I can. Honestly, this play is still crazy no matter how many times you read it. It's a complicated one. Oh yeah, there are lots of <laughs> twists and turns. It was interesting. E.Y. Harburg and Fred Sadie have merrily mixed toys, dolls, American puppets, and an Arabian genie into a magical musical that has New Yorkers standing in line for tickets. Does it? It closed after 40 performances. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure this album came out after? Whatever, keep going. Featuring the phenomenal four-octave voice of Yamasumak and oh. the original cast, including Barbara Cook, Erwin Corey, and Jerome Cortland, this new capital recording of Flahuli has captured all the vivacity of this hit musical. The vivacity? Mm -hmm. Nice word. <laughs> I like it a lot. So now we shall play the prologue? Yes, it is the overture, but it is called the prologue. Okay. and dynamos of the greatest toy factory in the world, B.G. Bigelow Incorporated. Let us open the window of the puppet department and listen. Just kidding. No overture. It's literally a prologue. Yep. 30 seconds. I was wrong. I like old-timey radio voices. The end. Yes, yes, yes. But odd that there is no overture. We'll keep going. The allegorical tale is set in fictional Capsulante, USA. Capsulante. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> Site of the headquarters for BG Bigelow Incorporated. Not the T. Mm -mm. The largest toy corporation in the world. Which immediately leads to our opening number, You Too Can Be a Puppet. Yay, puppets. Everybody loves puppets. Mm-hmm. Tiddly I, tiddly A, tiddly all your trouble away. You too can be a puppet. You too can be a puppet. Man, man, silly man, full of human folly. Why be brave? 
to be just as happy as we be a puppet not at all so red. Come out of the woodwork, brother. And join the brotherhood of man. The brotherhood of man. I thought that was great. And what I find interesting is that it it has like double meaning right off the bat. The first line is like, wow, that's so deep. And in like an actual deep way. So the first line is, people is the escape that people escape from most. Boom. Mm-hmm. And actually Jen had to explain that to me because I'm dumb. No, it's just a really confusing way of saying it. But when you think about it, you're like, wow. Mm-hmm. So they're saying basically that's why they make toys. And then constantly throughout it, it's talking about people being puppets, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And we need to keep that in mind as the show goes on and we look at the messages. I also think that it's really funny that they say that they're in a brother wood of man. <laughs> and it's even funnier because this is 10 years before how to succeed in business without really trying. So there was no brotherhood of man. There was just brotherhood of man. <laughs> it does sound remarkably similar. It does. As like a general feeling, this song makes me happy. And I, I, right off the bat, I'm actually excited for the rest of it. Yeah, let's go. Puppet designer Sylvester is in love with Sandy, who thinks he is too much of a dreamer to settle down. Aren't they all? Sylvester talks to his puppets. Oh, no. And gives his good ideas to Mr. Bigelow anonymously because he doesn't want to be viewed as a mercenary. Sylvester. But he has a new idea for a Christmas toy that he is positive will impress Mr. Bigelow and the board. And what's more, Sylvester is going to present it himself, take full credit, and make enough royalties so he and Sandy can get married. Well, good for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Sandy is reluctant, but too in love to worry. Mm. And they sing the song, Here's to Love is Blind. Mm, Romantical right from the beginning. He lives in a castle of solid clothes. His streets are paved with silk. He acts like a man full of pink champagne when it's only homogenized milk. I may not be a dream come true, but I'm hers, and she's mine, and she's stuck, and what can she do? it too it's definitely not my favorite duet in the world but it's a nice way to establish that they already have a very very intense relationship Mm -hmm. it kind of had pretty much everything i want in a love song that's fairly early on in the show uh, because it does establish things and you get to hear the voices and they're soaring and it, it just makes you feel good I think it's really cool that Barbara Cook on her Broadway debut gets to have like the first solo slash duet, but she sings a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, can it's you imagine kind of like how duet. nervous she would be? Oh, for sure. Like, 
freaking out. I do like that Sylvester has just one spoken line in the middle of it where he's like, look at her nose. <laughs> it's worth way more shares than any shares of AT&T or something. I don't know. Yeah. But it, I just, I hope that there's more speaking just because I like the rhythms of the way people spoke back mm-hmm. then. And the, I, I just like it. It relaxes me and makes me giggle. So I hope we get to hear more Sylvester. Well, should we keep going? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Sandy pushes Sylvester to bring his toy upstairs to the board meeting. We go to inside the Bigelow House of Magic boardroom where KT Pettigrew, a youngish career woman. Literally, it did say youngish. This is not poor writing on my part. <laughs> it did. Those are the exact words. And KT is K dot T dot, not KD. Yeah, we don't know what her actual name is, but. Maybe it's KD T. K- no, I hate it. <laughs> K.T. Pettigrew, a youngish career woman, oversees a group of men dressed to the nines with boutonnieres. They are struggling to find a Christmas specialty and are currently looking at an elephant that one can inflate its trunk by blowing into its bottom. It is deemed too controversial. I mean... Who even would present that idea? I don't know. <laughs> like, can you imagine, like, a bunch of kids on Christmas morning just with their heads up to an elephant's butthole <laughs> so that they can inflate its trunk? <sighs> I mean, it would be funny. I would kind of like one. I think it'd be Mikey? funny. Mikey? Maybe not. <laughs> Board member Quimsy says, It'll remind the Democrats of the Republicans, and it'll remind the Republicans of inflation. Wah, wah. Uh, they seek guidance from the magician Tonelli in the corner, and he sings, Oh, sweet mystery of life, at last I found thee. So, yeah, we don't have that song no. because it's a song that already existed in, like, pop culture. Mm-hmm. And they do that a few times in the show, so we'll just reference them. Yes, and also this song is in Thoroughly Modern Millie, little tidbit. They seek guidance from the magician Tonelli in the corner, and he sings Sweet Mystery of Life to a Pete the Passionate Parrot toy, and sparks come out of his tail. Ooh. But KT declares the toy too inexpensive. Sandy busts into the boardroom, and Sylvester negotiates a 5% royalty on his idea. boy, Sylvester. The board is under pressure because of Bigelow's impending arrival, so they agree before even seeing it. Mr. Bigelow, a playful, perhaps demented man, enters with news of a new opportunity. An emissary from Arabia is coming to make a deal with Bigelow, so he tells Sylvester to put a sticker on his idea and save it for later. He dismisses the board so they can prepare for presentations, and Bigelow settles in to play with his train set. Literally, he sits down and the lights fade as he's he presses a button on his desk and a train set pops up and he puts on a conductor hat and gets out a lamp and he makes like chugga 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 woo woo sounds. He's a giant child. Very strange man and you probably weren't kidding with Demented. No, but I do think he's quite cute. Mm-hmm. Well, this leads to the next song, BG Bigelow Inc. I... Since a group number. Twix <laughs> child and man, we think there is a missing link. That missing link is BG Bigelow, BG Bigelow Inc. A boy cannot grow up a shigalow. 
with toys from Bigelow Inc. B.G. Bigelow. into song like that well i think that's also the work men people right yes it's, it's, it's a mixture the... it's a mixture yeah i think the ladies are not in the board except for kt mm-hmm. she's the only lady there but there are certainly a lot of lady toy makers <laughs> there are <laughs> and they're very very high sopranos i i actually really like the song i like really full sounds um i like the little opera references there is a magic flute reference and a, a, a very clear figaro reference in there wait i didn't hear the magic flute one um she was doing part of the queen of the night aria and then she went to something else oh <laughs> i guess i was just too distracted by the fact that she was randomly singing very high yes. for no reason this show is actually full of references to other things. It is. Even in the script, which yeah. we didn't obviously keep them in our summary because it was too confusing to try and do. <laughs> but they definitely reference Finian's Rainbow, which is funny because they wrote Finian's yes. Rainbow. And they reference Showboat. I'm trying to remember other things they reference. But yeah, I don't know if that was just them being cheeky or if that was a thing that people did at the time yeah, when they like, were doing like musically musicals mm-hmm. like is this the something rotten of its time <laughs> i don't know if we would go that <laughs> far <laughs> but maybe we'll see mm-hmm. i like how this has two separate kind of feels mm. there's like the more regimented the bg bigelow ink but 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 like very on the downbeat and factory feeling but then it gets all flowery when they talk about being rainbows or i don't even know they have kind of poor diction i must say (laughs) i don't know exactly what they're saying but i enjoy the melody yes there was something Uh, about rainbows (laughs) (laughs) well there there's a lot of people singing like are there like 50 people on stage i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but i can imagine the choreography for this being pretty fun Mm mm-hmm and there's probably a lot of puppets dancing, yeah. too. I think it would be fun to be in this show. I, I already think that. And we're just partway through. Partway? We're, like, not even in. Let's no. go. Lights up on the showroom. KT leads the three Arabs and a man from the U.S. State Department to meet Mr. Bigelow. The Arabs sing Bigelow's praises and tell him about how the Caliph plays with his Bigelow toy train every morning. They need his help in restoring magic to their lamp, and, in turn, the genie that lives inside. Duh. 
Arabia has no oil and is suffering, and this all started when the lamp stopped working. Najla, the Arabian woman, wails and sings to show the desperation of her country, and the song she sings is Najla's Lament. <laughs> an experience for the ears and I bet you all had to turn down your volume for a little <laughs> bit didn't you I mean I'll try and level it out but mm -hmm. I can't help the notes that are happening that's just in the song <laughs> <laughs> so I have no idea what's going on um, in the song itself no 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 she's wailing for her country she's totally that's wailing. all you need to know I think and that was a uh, an experience um, she has very good control of her voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot happening. There the orchestration is really good. I really, oh, yes. really like it. I kind of feel like I was put on some sort of psychedelic drug for about two minutes. <laughs> and if you just close your eyes and think of various colors or whatever you think of, I don't know. It works. But I would imagine if I was sitting in the theater and I had just seen all of these very broadway style songs and then this lady comes out and starts like whistle toning up the wazoo i would be like <laughs> what's happening and i'm unclear if she's singing in an actual language yeah unclear i don't know she definitely says booty at one point <laughs> which entertains me to no end because yes. i'm five but she has the mariah carey whistle tones better than mariah carey mm-hmm this song does kind of remind me, and maybe they took some influence from this. It reminds me of the, oh, my mysterious lady, what is your name? And when, she, uh, in Peter Pan, when they're going like, oh, 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 <laughs> and she's going all cuckoo crazy, kind of reminds me of that. So maybe they uh, took this from that. I don't know. Who knows? Well, I'm sure this is not the last time we'll hear from Najla. And by that, he means he knows that it's not because we already know what's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> okay, let's go. Mr. Bigelow tries to explain that while he manufactures magic toys, he is not, in fact, a magician. What? The representative from the State Department impresses upon him the importance of keeping the relationship between Arabia and the U.S. open and positive. Bigelow is convinced, but as soon as they all leave, Bigelow, overwhelmed with stress, pivots back towards the Christmas specialty, and Sylvester finally gets to show him and the board his invention. Yay! What is it? What is it? It is a baby doll that's different. Okay. She doesn't wet herself or Ew. cry. Okay. She laughs, and her name Creepily, is- Creepily, I might add. We've heard it. Yo, it is creepy. The original Chucky doll- called her name is flahuli there we go because 
You can't spell it backwards. And we got to just say this, and we're going to say it once. They talk about you not being able to spell this freaking word backwards <laughs> in every review, in every bit of literature we have read <laughs> about this freaking show. And I don't fully understand why it is such a big freaking deal. So if you know the answers to that, let us know. Bigelow loves her and decides to manufacture her in secret. And as a reward, he assigns Sylvester to try to get the genie out of the Arabian lamp. What a reward. Wow. Sylvester is overcome and sings to Sandy. Yay! And the song he sings is, Who Says There Ain't No Santa Claus? Aww. See? Christmas. <laughs> Do I hear a reindeer? Have I gone insane, dear? Am I hearing heartbeats or those footbeats through the bells and snow of long ago? Sure you hear a reindeer, sure as rain a reindeer. So it's very plain, dear, that this jingle is Kris Kringle telling us there's still are things that people say ain't so. Says there ain't no Donner, no Blitzen with you before me. Who says there ain't no Santa Claus? How come the hearts all tingles, all sleigh bells, all merry jingles? How come this Christmas thing right smack in the middle of spring? Can it be? There is Christmas. Here it is. Yay! Whenever you hear the sleigh bell sound, it automatically, to me, makes any song a Christmas song. Uh, but th they do talk about Christmas in this. And reindeer. <laughs> and yes. I like, this song is full of so many good rhymes. Mm -hmm. I don't even know where to begin. But I do like that they rhyme reindeer with you, dear, like D-E-A-R. <laughs> yes. And something like, can it be true there ain't no St. Nicholas? It's too ridiculous. <laughs> I love when you like slightly change a word to make it rhyme, um, especially when it's a fun thing like that. I don't know why people don't cover this song more for Christmas. I know. They're... Guys, get on this. I loved this song. You know, every time I, I hear a song in the show and I was like, this, this is probably the best it's going to get. Like there's something that like tops it. It's weird. And we're only a few songs in. This is my favorite song so far. Mm. I really, really like it. I smiled the whole time. Yes. And I giggled, which is exactly what I want to do when someone is <laughs> talking about Christmas. She puts Sylvester, now the new vice president, through an interrogation to check his loyalty. Sandy stands up as a character witness and sings. Ooh. He's only wonderful. Oh, I'm going to like this one. And I'll never be able to sing it because I'm not a soprano. We'll see. The one song Barbara Cook sings as an alto. <laughs> not happening. Because it's only wise for me to shut my eyes and just accept him as he is. What do you say to that? If all she has 
to offer is heaven on earth. And heaven's what I'll have to settle for. I'll take part in love for now and evermore. Because it's only one. I like it. I like it. Barbara Cook sounds awesome. She does. I really do like this song. It does kind of remind me of something wonderful, and not just because the word wonderful is there, from The King and I, just playing a few blocks away. It does sound very Rodgers and Hammerstein-y. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's it, just the general Rodgers and Hammerstein-y, like, duet. Yeah, and the way, I mean, obviously Barbara Cook was in a few of those shows, and the way she, like, scoops just that slight bit, mm. it's very, I mean, it's very her- obviously and i don't know if other people did it but it just reminds me of that time and all those songs i do love how showcased she is in this broadway debut we've already heard her so many times and And i really really like this guy but yeah alas this is the only show he did yep yep. as an actor unfortunately after this show and a few other small film roles he transitions to producing and he does produce a few things for disney include escape from witch mountain return from witch mountain <laughs> and pete's dragon oh pete's dragon mm-hmm. and a few episodes of the magical world of disney Ooh, yeah. what's his name his name is jerome Cortland. well mr Cortland, you're probably dead but i really like your voice <laughs> <laughs> not that long ago eight years ago okay yeah Let's keep going so we can hear him sing again. The employees and executives dress up in toy costumes and parade across the stage. Because that's normal. <laughs> and they sing the title song of the show, Flahooly. Not to be confused with Shapoopy. <laughs> I was surprised how quick it was. And there were no dudes. No. I mean, it does say the employees and executives dress up in toy costumes and parade across and sing. I guess they were just dancing and the girls were singing. And it sounded like there were like two or three girls. (laughs) Maybe it was the girls dressed as the Flahooly. Creepy. Oh, well, the thing that we forgot to mention is that it starts with the most creepy laugh. (laughs) I think... I've heard on an album so far. And once you see 
what that laugh is coming out of, you too will have nightmares for days. Yes, definitely check out our Instagram. I'm sure Jen will post a picture of this creepy doll. Well, there's also a very lengthy video that I will probably split up into two videos from some sort of TV show. Not the Ed Sullivan show, but it seems like it was mm -hmm. in the style of the Ed Sullivan show. But they did like a 25-minute bit <laughs> on it. A medley of various songs and little skits to show off the puppets, including the most terrifying Flahooli doll in the universe. <laughs> Let's see if I can describe her. She has large eyeballs that you can't tell if they're open or closed. Her smile goes literally to her ears. You know, when I see these old dolls, I'm wondering, like, did people think they were creepy then? Or were there different standards? I'm really, I really don't know. Well, we see other puppets in that video. There's like a ballerina puppet, and then there's like a hobo puppet. Mm -hmm. I think is that what Clyde I think so. Is? I think so. And we also see reindeer puppets, and they're less scary. But somehow the Flahooli doll is just really creepy, and the fact that she just giggles all the time. Maybe we just watch way too many horror movies, but <laughs> it just reminds me of Chucky and Annabelle and all those little creepy dolls that giggle and then murder people. The end. Moving on. <laughs> In the Bigelow Hall of Fame, Mr. Bigelow presents Flahooli to his buyers and they are ecstatic until a drunk man on a bell clanging scooter, Tuffles, enters to reveal that Schwartz has released a toy just like Flahooli named... Stromboli. Awesome name, by the way. Also, if we were to be in this show, I think Mikey would probably be Tuffles. <laughs> this is my role. This is you. Mm -hmm. Or me, <laughs> as a man. I would do it. Who knows? I'd probably be KT, because I'm bossy. <laughs> and youngish. I don't think so. I think you could be Sandy. I'm not a soprano! <sighs> but thank you for thinking that. Well, Stromboli costs $4 less. Katie tries to rally the buyers and remind them that loyalty should mean more than profit. All the buyers sing Auld Lang Syne together. Seriously, that's what's in the script. Mm -hmm. We don't know exactly why. She like has this probably four-sentence monologue where she tries to rally them up, and then they just randomly burst out into Old Lang Syne. Should all, should should all, all the acquaintance be forgot and never Well, there's different verses. Something about a cup of whatever. Well, I've completely added myself as someone who does not know the words Old Lang Syne. Well, you're going to go on the blacklist for that one. <laughs> so what happens after they sing? All of the buyers leave. Because they don't know the words. <laughs> I think they do. <laughs> Bigelow blames Sylvester and discharges him. In Sylvester's office, Sandy has all of the puppets lined up for a going away party. <laughs> She is venting her frustrations and worries to them when Sylvester walks in to her in tears. He is keeping a positive attitude and thinks that with his college degree and credentials, he will get another job in no time. Sandy's outlook isn't as sunny. With Bigelow, the king of toys against him, she's afraid Sylvester will have to move and change his name to be employable again. She but specifically says move to Brooklyn, which I find hilarious. <laughs> That's like, right! This show is not taking place in New York. It's in some weird 
Capsalanti. Yeah, Capsalanti. <laughs> That's how I have to remember it. The puppets, the eternal optimists, think that since the two are in love, everything will turn out fine. Clyde, the head puppet, says, The world is your oyster. Better than that, the world is your balloon, which is the name of this song. I'm excited for puppets. <laughs> love, love, when you're in love, the world is your balloon. Rain is confetti rain, the moon's a lantern moon. Glowworms are footlights in the clover, for they know life's a bang-up show. Why should it irk us? Ain't it a circus? Yours is the gate that swings to clowns and tinkerbells. Yours is the hope on wings, the heart on carousels. Yours is the earth to play with on a summer afternoon. For when girl loves boy, the world is a toy balloon. Aw, that song makes me want to skip around. Yeah, I didn't quite understand initially what the world is your balloon meant. But I think, I think I kind of get it now. What do you mean? What does it mean? I don't get it. I was pretending. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds very positive, though, whatever it means. I just think that they mean it's better than, I don't know. The whole thing is filled with these metaphors (laughs) of stuff. But generally, it's since they're young and in love, there's hope, and things are going to be just fine. I love how everyone joins in at the end, and they're probably doing some sort of polka. <laughs> well, wait, no, they're probably not, because it's all puppets. Yeah, I have to that keep would be in a mind lot of strings. that this song is being sung by a puppet. And many other puppets. Yeah, and then the humans. It's like a Sesame Street Uh, Right, but I think they're more puppets than humans. I think it's only Sandy and Sylvester. Yeah. And then a bajillion puppets. Because I don't know if this is completely established, but are they really actually talking and singing? Mikey, there's a genie in this show. (laughs) Let's not ask too many questions. Okay, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yes, they're talking. What, What do you want? Do you want them to go to the insane asylum? No, 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 no. I don't understand the question. I was just... I didn't know if it was all imagination. I mean, I guess it's... I don't know, Mikey. I guess that's every production can figure that out on their own. I don't think it is because they're they're giving this positive message to them. Otherwise, they'd just be staring at these puppets and pretending both in their heads that these puppets are... Right. Well, that's the thing is like they're both insane then. (laughs) If, If this is happening to them at the same time. You're right. You're right. The show is full of like half rhymes. That I like, mm-hmm. including the when girl meets boy, the world is a toy balloon. Yeah, I love that. It works because toy and boy, but balloon. It's we- it's weird, but it works, and I like it. I do too. It makes me smile. Mr. Bigelow enters having stomach spasms that only pastries can subdue. Dude, I know, right? (laughs) Quarantine is rough. He divulges to Sylvester and Sandy that during the 20s, his toy company became so big that it created a monopoly on the toy market. So 
he created his own competitor, A-E-I-O-U Schwartz. <laughs> A-E-I-O-U. <laughs> and then he promptly forgot about it. <laughs> Again, demented. Very strange. But he can't let Flahuli be produced because Schwartz needs to lose money so Bigelow saves on income tax. Like the producers. You make a lot more money with a flop than with a hit. <laughs> Mr. Bigelow reiterates that all the employees of Bigelow will be out of work by the end of the day and promptly jumps out the window. Ah! And it's funny, there's a stage direction that, that's like, did he commit suicide? Yeah! <laughs> Bigelow jumps out the window. Did he commit suicide? Exclamation point question mark. But they're on the ground floor. Womp womp. So Bigelow takes the shortcut to his office and Sandy leaves Sylvester to put the puppets away. Sylvester has Flahuli rub the Arabian lantern as a last hope and it works. Mm. Abu Ben Atom. The claustrophobic, intelligent, and talkative genie shows up in a puff of smoke. After some counseling, Sylvester wishes for the genie to make flahoolies so he can earn enough money so he and Sandy can get married. Sylvester tells Sandy, who is in awe. Everyone at the factory is so impressed by the production of all the flahoolies, including Bigelow. Sylvester tries to tell them all that it's the genie, but they laugh it off. The joint is jump in. <laughs> Which leads to this triumphant song, Jump, Little Children. Jump, 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 little children, jump. We're out of the woods and over the hump. Jump, jump, children, jump. We're out of the woods and over the hump. So jump, little children, jump. Warehouse six, filled with mahoolies. Warehouse seven, no more space. Park them in the parking lot. Park them in the alley. Park them in the powder room. Any old place. joyous little ditty yeah it was kind of boring yeah also i mean again with the diction boy with the poodles already i <laughs> couldn't understand what they were saying some of the time and i think it's also because the lyrics don't fully make sense no there's something about like jump little taxes like why are the taxes <laughs> jumping I, I did hear something about the tax man, but I, I don't even know. I have no clue. But there is one bit of rhyme that we found that we did like. Yes, read it, read it. We're on a cresta of a fiesta thanks to Sylvester. Yes, good job. I really like that. That makes the whole thing worth it. I it kind of does, kind <laughs> of. I'm also sure that they were doing fun choreography, which would have made it worth it as well. Yes, yes. With warehouses collapsing and children taking armfuls of the dolls that have fallen into the street, the big box stores have canceled their orders. The Fluhulis are overproduced, making them basically worthless. Bigelow wants to stop production, and this summons the genie, which in turn brings forth the overjoyed Najla, and she sings Najla's Song of Joy. I gotta say, didn't really miss her, but here she is. <laughs> Why is she here? Wait, why is she here? Because the genie came back. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, oh, there he is. Okay. Yep. She just, 
he she feels in her soul she does the genie has arrived and she busts through the doors <laughs> to sing this the difference between her wailing and her joyful <laughs> song <laughs> they kind of sound the same very similar um still some interesting vocal gymnastics yeah it doesn't even seem i wonder if she's saying the same thing every night or if she just like made it up who knows uh, for this one i'm pretty sure she didn't actually say any words though no because <laughs> the last one it sounded like she was saying some words that i didn't understand but this one she's just la la lying yes i hope she's well. too overwhelmed with joy before <laughs> words and she goes very high and then she goes kind of low not really low though but it does kind of remind me just a little bit of pornambuco <laughs> yes, yes from where's charlie <laughs> I mean, this song made my eyes open really big yeah, at certain I should, points. <laughs> I should keep my phone on. We we turn our phones off when we record, but I really should have kept it on because Mikey made the most crazy face. Like, I, I wasn't asleep, but it woke me up. Do you know what I mean? It I really, mean, it, 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 I think everyone probably knows what you mean, especially yes. if they're listening in their headphones. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I hope you're not driving a car. <laughs> Abu reveals that this was all because of Sylvester's wish to be married, and he doesn't want to stop producing flahoolies until every child in the world has one of their own. That's so nice. Even if this means giving them away for free. I mean, can you even imagine? Like, okay, what was the toy that you really wanted for Christmas as a kid? Oh, gosh. Like, there, there was always, like, the toy of the year. Yeah, there was. Like, one year it was Tickle Me Elmo's. Yeah, and... oh, yeah, Tickle Me Elmo's. Um, but that was like for our little sisters. It was. There was the, the Furbies. Furbies were the thing. <laughs> they were the jam. And kids would like cry when they didn't get them. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine a world where every kid got one and even the kids whose parents couldn't afford them got them? That would be a great Christmas. Yeah. But Mr. Bigelow doesn't want flahoolies anymore. And I'm pretty sure all the workers are kind of over them too. They're causing buildings to collapse. So they sing... The Act 1 finale, No More Flahoolies. Let there be Flahoolies! No more Flahoolies! Flahoolies! <laughs> no more Flahoolies! No more Flahoolies! Please let's get rid of the whole Flahoolies! One thing is certain, the market's flattened, the price of cotton. Right out to 
her laugh, the Fahuli laugh, just really gets to me. It's very creepy. It's very strange. If that was the last thing you heard going into intermission, <laughs> would you come back? I, I, maybe. I think so. I mean. I mean, I don't know if we're the best people to ask, but. Maybe these dolls are supposed to be creepy. Are they? I don't, Is I don't this know. supposed to be for children? I'm confused. <laughs> I'm also confused as to why we are ending Act 1 on a reprise with different lyrics? Yeah. And it's very short. There's a slight lyric change that I think is kind of funny. We're on the cresta of a disaster. That's a stretch. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not too into that one. I mean, it is the same workers who are praising are doing the same exact thing, except they're hating. I on... get it. I get it. I get that they, like, changed their tune in a matter of probably 10 minutes. <laughs> but could have made it a little better somehow. Strange Act 1 finale. Mm-hmm. Let's keep going. Yeah. Act two begins with a weenie roast of the overproduced flahoolies. Oh, no. That are bringing unemployment to the town. They are burning flahoolies, which I guess makes sense because they're terrifying. But <laughs> are they laughing in the fire? We'll see in the song, The Spirit of Capsalanti. Capsalanti. <laughs> Break it up by the trumpets. Break it up. love the quality of this lady's voice yeah it reminds me of wonderful town the one of the ladies in there set has the same kind of quality 100 easy ways to lose a man yes yes it she i just like it i like it <laughs> i'm entertained she's the head of the protesters just so everyone is aware this is a good beginning of Act 2 song, I think. Yeah, it revs up the audience. It reminds you of what is occurring. And it has a big escalation from the end of Act 1. Mm -hmm. They're not just singing about no more flahoolies. They're breaking them up yes. <laughs> into little bits. And burning them and making hot dogs on them. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny that this kind of sounds like a... Music man, John Philip Sousa-y yeah. kind of. It big... sounds like it's a parade. Yeah, it does sound like a parade of <laughs> flahoolies. Dead flahoolies. <laughs> but I guess I'm kind of disappointed slash grateful that there's no weird flahoolie laughing dying sound. Oh, yeah. I was waiting for it. Missed opportunity. Yeah. People are riding and tracking down anyone suspected of harboring flahoolies. So serious. Sylvester is brought to Bigelow by the protesters for refusing to let them in his house without a warrant. Fair enough. He is against the vigilantism running rampant in the town. Sandy wants him to be realistic. This is the only way they can get back to work. The Arabs show up to retrieve their genie, but Abu is nowhere to be found. They think Bigelow is exploiting the genie's powers for his own gain. After the Arabs leave muttering threats, Abu appears to check in on the lovebirds to find them quarreling. Sandy begs for him to destroy the Flahoolies, and Abu is confused. 
Bigelow devises a plan to convert his showroom into Baghdad to trap the genie. Because <laughs> that seems possible. What? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure the set designer is really pleased with this idea. <laughs> Najla provides the music and she sings this song called Birds. <laughs> Another interesting Najla song. If I was to rate this one with the other two, I actually I have no way to place this one. Oh, really? Yes. What I think? think this is my favorite one. It, it might be the weirdest one. Oh, am I weird? No, no, no. <laughs> There's a one part where she, she sings so high. Um, <laughs> so just, high. It's almost just to show you how high she can sing. I'm pretty sure that is her only goal, yes. <laughs> Uh, this song is called Birds. It does not reflect a bird to me at no. all. But it does, I don't know, make me feel something. I think that it would be really cool to have maybe like a Palabolus dance mm. to this song. Or Isadora Duncany, Martha Grant. Like a modern dance to this music would be really interesting to me and now i'm going to look on the internet to see if someone has already done that and i'm going to watch all of them she truly does some interesting things with her voice there's this one thing she does that like it sounds like it's really coming from her throat yeah which sounds like something else and i cannot place it right now i can't either but i know exactly what you're talking about because i hear it in my head i know me too it's annoying i don't know she's definitely growing on me She's growing on me. I just don't really know why she's here. No. I feel like she puts the story kind of at a halt. <laughs> she does. She, her music does not propel the story forward. It does seem kind of out of place. I mean, maybe that's a statement because they are kind of out of place, but I don't know. I guess. The genie does show up to the trap, but he is dying. Oh, no. The three Arabs are outraged and break all diplomatic ties with the United States. They... All take Abu to the hospital. The doctor says Abu has developed an anti-societal disattachment to his environment and asks for one thing Abu keeps asking for, Flahuli, to be produced. They are all broken. Thanks a lot, angry mob. To which Sylvester wisely retorts, How does everybody feel now about busting up things? Dolls and psyches and people? Wow, Sylvester coming Uh, in. He's been trying to teach them the whole time. They're not listening. Later, Sandy brings a Flahuli doll to Abu in the hospital. It's broken. After she leaves and Abu cries, Flahuli magically gets put back together and comes to life. And Abu sings, the springtime cometh. Or your nightmares awaken, whatever (laughs) comes first. 
Takes so long in the show for him to sing a word. Well, to be fair, he showed up pretty late. He did show up pretty late. But he kind of has that gravelly tiggery sound. Yes, I was like he was not that. Tigger at all. He hmm. never voiced Tigger, but he has that quality. It does make me feel like um, an older Disney cartoon movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could just see the flowers coming towards him and blooming and being all happy. I wonder if there are flowers happening on like puppet oh, flowers yeah. i wonder or if he's just prancing around <laughs> who knows i'm not sure if we're gonna play it for you or not the beginning he says oh springtime cometh and then he starts naming flowers and he says i don't know he says something first some normal flower and it goes like Broop. and then he's like and the tulips cometh and then Holy mackerel, the tulips must be human size because the rumble and flourish that those stupid things produce is like, and then he says buttercups and then they're like, I just found that very weird. It It was a choice and it was kind of funny. It definitely threw me off guard. There is a part that he says, uh, nylon rippeth zipper zippeth ding dong day which like i don't know it's it's funny i have to say they're really good at creating these really quirky characters Mm -hmm. between mr bigelow and the genie they're so quirky and it's the only thing i can describe them as yeah there's a lot of funny lines that they say and they're really random and really weird. Like, he's always making, because his name is Ben Atom, Abu Ben Atom, he's always making jokes about molecular, like, things, like nuclei and, yes. like, we, like protons and neutrons. Oh. And did you literally just get that? Yes. Oh, man. Oh, okay. no. <laughs> and we read this whole thing. Um, In the reading, I have to say, though, I did play Abu, so I did get to say <laughs> all those lines. <laughs> well, Abu seems to be not on the verge of death anymore. Nope. Let's go. The doll and Abu hear on the radio there is a search on for them by the protesters and become overwhelmed with emotion. Abu comes to the realization that the human race is not ready for them and the joy they can bring. So he decides to hide in another dimension. Lahuli reminds him of his promise to help Sandy and Sylvester get married before Christmas, which is only two days away. Which is weird because the show started in March. (laughs) It did. did. I don't think we mentioned that, but it's been a while. It has. 
The genie and the doll escape the hospital but forget to bring the lamp, and it falls into the hands of the leader of the protests. Leader of the protests. <laughs> <laughs> the scene changes to the street outside the department store. Sandy and Sylvester say a teary goodbye as he heads off to the train station. Abu appears dressed as Santa Claus. And Yay, Christmas! <laughs> it's still here. And tells them that they have to get married because if they don't, he has to return to the lamp, which is in the hands of the protesters now. So they will be able to wish for anything they want. Oh, no! Sandy and Sylvester make the supreme sacrifice and get married. Abu marries them and the curtain falls as Bigelow leaves to go on a honeymoon with Najla. Okay, I kind of left out their love forming and blah, 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 because it was really convoluted and weird. But yes, they're in love. They're getting married. It is strange. To the finale. To the finale. Do you, Sandy, promise to relieve this bachelor of science of his bachelorhood? I do. Promise to supply the world with children whose genes are congenial to the genes of a genie? I do. Yours is the gate that swings to clowns and tinkerbells. Yours is the hope on wings, the heart on carousels. Yours is the earth to play with on a summer afternoon. to make the world safe for Santa Claus and Flahooly? We do! Hooray for Flahooly! Blow out the trumpets for Flahooly! So as a whole, I love this finale. It was high energy, it tied in a bunch of different songs, it um, masked the fact that the end of the show is really weird. Yes, it did. It kind of made you forget that. Um happy ending but then the very end as a button is just a bunch of that's full hooli laugh it's sounds. not even a button it's just a very long <laughs> lo it probably is like 30 seconds of her laughing <laughs> it goes on really long and like they're holding the cord and like the high c at the end and but like you know the big finale ah! big cord but then on top of that way louder than everything else is just ah! <laughs> it's a lot if I just heard this song and I'm like, the lights came up, I'd be like, ah, oh, I'd be smiling. I would. I'd be like, this, this And then is, I would I'm, go I'm home and I'd be like, what was that? Like someone, <laughs> someone would be like, did you like the show? And I'd be like, yeah. And they'd say, what was it about? And I'd be like, well. <laughs> Let me tell you, there's layers. This, this show's an onion. It is. I don't even, I don't want to say a rotten onion. <laughs> no. It's just an onion. You know when onions sometimes grow a little onion inside the onion? It's like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Not good or bad. It's just there. Yeah. This is the first song, and it's funny because it's the last song, 
But it's the first song that I could hear influences of, I guess, what became his style of song, uh, Sammy Fain, the music writer, because this sounds like other songs that he wrote, and we'll go into more detail when we talk about him in a minute, but it does sound a little bit like Alice in Wonderland. Oh yeah, a little bit. It sounds like the songs when they're at the castle, like with the queen and we're painting the roses red, but after that, like the the court scene and <laughs> mm-hmm. things like that. The big, there's high trumpets and French horns and blah, 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 blah. I like it, is what I'm trying to say, because you might know that I love Peter Pan, but did you also know that I really, really love Alice in Wonderland? Because I do. What? Just kidding. I knew that. Well, yeah, you, <laughs> you did. Jeez, I would hope so. So you might think that we'd be done with all the songs, but there is actually another song on this record. Um, We had to piece this whole show together. To be honest, it was slightly difficult because there are many drafts of the show. In one draft, we don't think Abu goes to the hospital and instead runs to New York. And Sandy goes to find him and sings this song called Come Back, Little Genie. Yay, more Barbara Cook. (laughs) Come back. back the promise that held us by the hand. Bring back the globe wonderland. Rub your magic lamp and bid the stars arise. Fill the world with ships and shoes and shining Yeah, it was nice. It was short. Very short. And honestly, I like some of her other songs better. But Mm. it's nice that she gets one all by herself. I don't know if she has one all by herself. No, you're right. Everything else... Sylvester butts in on. He does butt in on. It's not always like a true duet where they're singing together, but it sounds like, oh, this is my song, this is my song. Well, I have an opinion, too. Mm Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. It really does show off her voice. Mm Mm-hmm. But I can see why it might have been cut. If it was cut, I'm not sure. Who knows? But I'm glad we have it. Because it's kind of the opposite of an 11 o'clock number. <laughs> yes, It's like it a is. lullaby. It's very soothing and very nice, but if you're actually in a theater at 1030 at night listening to that, I'd fall asleep. Oh, you're right. But nothing bad about her. Barbara Cook is amazing. Oh, no, not at all. But I can see why maybe Springtime Cometh might wake people up a bit more with their (laughs) giant tulips. Uh. So now that we are officially, officially, officially done listening to the show, let's talk about the writers. We are going to start with E.Y. Harburg, who wrote the book and lyrics. He was born Isidore Hotchberg on April 8th. 1896 in Manhattan. His parents were Yiddish-speaking Orthodox Jews who emigrated from Russia. His parents didn't have steady careers and worked wherever they could, mostly at textile factories. So if you've ever heard or seen the show Rags, that may as well have been his parents. (laughs) (laughs) There are conflicting accounts about how many siblings he had. A majority of his siblings died as children, 
Some records say he had 10 siblings, others say he had 12. Only four children survived until adulthood, Isidore Hochberg being one of them. His parents stressed education because in Russia, as Jews, they were not allowed to attend higher learning classes. Harburg attended public school, but to expand his education, every Saturday his father would take him to the Yiddish theater where he would see the works of Shakespeare, Ibsen, and Shaw, all translated into Yiddish, of course. It's unclear why he changed his name and when. His name evolved throughout his life. Isidore Hochberg, which is spelled I-S-I-D-O-R-E, and then he eventually changed it to Isidore, I-S-A-D-O-R, Erwin L. Hochberg. No one really knows what the L is for. And then he changed it to Erwin I. Hochberg. And then he eventually landed on Edgar Y. Harburg, which wasn't his official name until 1934. The Y stands for Yipsel, which he claims his parents told him was the Yiddish word for squirrel and was a nickname for him as a kid. But if you Google it, the Yiddish <laughs> word for squirrel is Vaverka. So many people think that Yipsel comes from the Young People's Socialist League. This was shortened to Yip. Yip met Ira Gershwin when they both attended Townsend Harris High School, and they bonded over their love of Gilbert and Sullivan. The two attended City College together, but Ira dropped out. Yip graduated in 1921. Soon after, he was married and had two children. He became a co-owner of Consolidated Electrical Appliance Company, but the company went bankrupt after the stock market crash in 1929. Yip's buddy Ira had success with writing the lyrics to Broadway's hits OK, Funny Face, and Strike Up the Band, so Ira suggested that Yip give it a try too to help pay down his large debt. Gershwin paired up Harburg with musician Jay Gorney, who had recently been contributing songs to the Schubert Brothers musical reviews of the time. Together, Harburg and Gorney received a contract to Paramount Pictures, and this opened the door for Harburg to start collaborating with other composers, including Julie Stein. He was paired with Harold Arlen to write his most famous song, Over the Rainbow, from The Wizard of Oz. This distance between Hollywood to Broadway didn't keep Harburg from writing for Broadway. In the 40s, he wrote lyrics for Bloomer Girl and lyrics in the book for Finian's Rainbow. Both had books written by Fred Sadie, who wrote on this show as well. In 1950, Yip Harburg was blacklisted by Hollywood for potentially being a member of the Communist Party, even though he was an out and proud socialist. He was blacklisted for 12 years, mainly for not handing over names of those in the business he thought were communist. Even his passport was revoked. During this time, he wrote not just Flahuli, but also Jamaica and the Happiest Girl in the World. In his lifetime, he won an Oscar for The Wizard of Oz and was nominated for two more. He's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. He died on March 5, 1981, at the age of 84. Fred Sadie co-wrote the book to this show. Not much is known about him, but here's what we do know. He was born in Los Angeles as Fareed Milhelm Saidi on February 11, 1907, and he is of Lebanese descent. 
He was a journalist before he started writing sketches for reviews and eventually moved on to writing full-scale musicals. Sadie co-wrote with Harburg on Bloomer Girl, Finian's Rainbow, Jamaica, and The Happiest Girl in the World. He died on May 14, 1982 in Los Angeles. His son is an international master of chess, which is the rank before Grandmaster, and has written several books on the subject. We're very into chess now. Thank you, Queen's Gambit. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy Fain, like I mentioned before, wrote the music. He was born in South Fallsburg, New York, or New York City. Different sources state different things. They're not even remotely close. I don't know how we could get those confused. <laughs> On June 17, 1902, as Samuel E. Feinberg. His father was a Jewish cantor. Sammy worked as a staff pianist and composer for a music publisher, Jack Mills, among the ranks of Dorothy Fields, Fats Waller, and Duke Ellington. At the same time, Fane was performing in a vaudeville act with Artie Dunn before finding success writing popular music in the mid-twenties, both with and without Artie. Sammy teamed up frequently with lyricist Irving Cahill with songs such as Nobody Knows What a Redhead Mama Can Do, Yeah, Wedding Bells Are Breaking Up That Old Gang of Mine, Ooh. and Let a Smile Be Your Umbrella on a Rainy, Rainy Day. These sound great. I want to find them. <laughs> Around the 30s, he transitioned to film and Broadway. His Broadway credits include Hell's a Poppin', which was a review that ran for 1,404 performances. What? Making it the longest-running musical at the time. Ankles Away, Christine, and Something More. He wrote the music for over 30 films from the 30s to the 50s but is probably most well-known for contributing to the scores of Disney's movies, like I said before. Including Alice in Wonderland, the song's Very Good Advice. I give very good advice. Painting the Roses Red. Painting the Roses Red. All in the Golden Afternoon. All in the Golden Afternoon. <laughs> I'm late. Come on, everyone knows this one. Yes, I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. <laughs> and more. He also wrote for my favorite, Peter Pan. He wrote, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly, <laughs> and the second star to the ride. Which, fun fact, he originally wrote for Alice in Wonderland. So maybe it went, the rabbit fell down the hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it had a completely different title. I forgot the name, though. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do like that one better. He also wrote one song for the rescuers, Someone's Waiting for You. Okay, I don't know that one. I wasn't a huge rescuers person. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, and he also wrote for Sleeping Beauty. I know you. I walked with you once upon a dream. He won two Academy Awards for Best Song, Secret Love from Calamity Jane, and the, Once I had a secret love. Which I didn't know about until Jen sang it, and she, she knows all of it, apparently. I do. I don't know exactly why. <laughs> I guess I must have watched that as a child. And the title song from Love is a Many Splendored Thing. He was also nominated an additional ten times. He was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1972. He died on December 6th. 1989 in Los Angeles. 
So not a whole heck of a lot is known on how this show got made and why. But we do know this show was written by Harburg as a direct reaction to being blacklisted. And he must have just brought his supportive friends along for the ride since he already had a relationship with Fred Sadie. So you might have noticed some of the satire in the show, but most of the pointed satire was removed during the out-of-town tryouts, and a lot of these were in direct relation to the Flahooli doll. So in previous drafts, it didn't laugh, thank God, (laughs) but instead it actually said Dirty Red, which could be actually even more terrifying. Oh, yeah. Um, Now this doll, the Flahooli doll was woken up by taking benzedrine, which is an amphetamine, <laughs> and it was put to sleep using phenobarbital, which is a barbiturate. I cannot imagine. Nuts. Like, what are the kids supposed to do? Just, like, have <laughs> one pill makes you larger. Like, what's, where, where are these kids getting these things? And it was also supposed to teach children how to be good Americans. I, Terrifying. Wow. Terrifying. The show was originally called Toyland, and after this production, the name was actually changed to Jollyanna. It got three good reviews while it was in New York and five bad reviews. People, especially during the McCarthy era, wanted to distance themselves from the seemingly anti-American theme of the show. Also because this was happening during the Korean War, when Americans were grateful to have a high standard of living and they felt protected by the American government. Mm. So, obviously this show is really Mm anti-capitalism. That's pretty apparent. Glaringly clear. You you find it, even in just this summary alone, you see that Yip Harburg has a very strong point of view and he wants everyone to see it. I do think it's interesting that Abu, who is probably the socialist icon in the show, has this realization that he's come too early to the human race (laughs) and that they're too small-minded to see the gift he could give to them by creating, I mean, in reality, it's Flahooli dolls for everyone, but symbolism. Use that how you will and take it for healthcare or whatever you want to think about it as. For everyone. It's a very interesting show, and I feel like I have to listen to it or at least read it again just to, to see these small things, because it's, it's, it's interesting. I feel like if you hired a really good dramaturg who had an interest and degree in, like, political science, mm-hmm. this could be a really, really cool show to do. Yes, that'd be cool. Especially if you make Bigelow Donald Trump. <laughs> Wait, does that mean that Najla would be Melania? I guess so. (laughs) Gosh. Okay, well, actually, speaking of Najla. Oh, yeah. So there are a couple other people that we do have to note in the cast. Yuma Sumak played Najla. She was actually born in September of 1922 in Peru as... Get ready for it, kids. Zoila Auguste Imparatriz Chavaria del Castillo. Hello. Nice to meet you. (laughs) She claimed she was an Incan princess. Her mother was a school teacher and her father was a civic leader. 
She was known for having a very wide vocal range. As we all heard. And she grew in popularity when the U.S. had a wave called Exotica. Which sounds dirty, but it's not. Yes, this is when Americans became interested in music from around the world. Sounds cool. She toured around the world as a solo artist and played Carnegie Hall, the Royal Festival Hall in front of the Queen, and the Roxy Theater with our very own Danny Kay. Danny Kay. Yeah. She's said to have a five-octave range from B2 to G-sharp-7. She was booked as the star of the show. She is the only named performer on the cover, and they feature her photo. <laughs> I'm so confused as to why that happened, <laughs> very but strange. cool, cool. The cover is basically her on the upper left-hand corner, like, peering down at everything. She's, like, in a bubble. <laughs> we'll put it on the Instagram. Go look at it. So you may notice that Yamasumak's songs sound really different from the rest of the show. There's a reason for this. Yeah, all of her songs were actually written by her husband, Moises Vivanco. Which explains a lot. I can just imagine her and her husband trying to write these songs in their apartment in New York and having all their neighbors stomp their feet and bang broomsticks on the ceiling. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) She died on November 1st, 2008. Now, the other person that we want to mention is Nehemiah Persoff. He played the young Arab, who we found out somewhere else was named Fauci, (laughs) but we didn't learn that in our script. No. The main thing about him is that he is still alive. He is 101 years old, and he lives in Cambria, California. So even though he retired from acting years ago, he still paints paintings, and you can go to his website and look at them. Maybe we'll post some on the Instagram. Mm-hmm. Once an artist, always an artist. Yay. I hope I'm painting paintings at 101. Yeah, I hope I ever learn to paint a paint. I've never done it. Well, you don't have to paint a painting. You can just... I was about to say make pottery, but you're not good at that either. <laughs> I am great. I am great. You will see... You, you all one day will see my pottery. <laughs> at the Modern Art Museum. But for now, we cannot paint paintings or make pottery... We have to audition for things. Oh, Eventually. Yes. One day. One day. When we're allowed to audition again. And for that, we need audition songs. So it is time for Audition Cuts. Woo! All right. So the song that I am choosing for my audition cut is Who Says There Ain't No Santa Claus. Yay! I love that song. I picked it pretty much because I love that song. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, that's a good reason to pick an audition song. Yes. And, you know, it could be partially because it's it's probably the most Christmassy of the songs in this Christmas musical. I think it's definitely the most Christmassy. It is. It's the only one with, like, sleigh bells. Um, and mention of Christmas characters. Yes. <laughs> in general, it's just, it's happy and it sounds good. And it's jazzy. Yeah. And bouncy. Yeah, let's let's take a listen. Can it be true, dear? With a stocking full of you, dear. Can it be true, dear? That there ain't no Saint Nicholas. It's too ridiculous. Maybe I'm just a frantic romantic. But looking at you, I say a fella can't be any city claws. Says I who says there ain't no Santa 
So I think this is another versatile song. It does work for classic musicals. Like it, it definitely would work for Woody and Finian's Rainbow. Obviously. Um, Nathan and Guys and Dolls. And you know, think about placing this song forward or backward, depending on what type of role it is. Because if you place this song forward and less rounded, this song could be good for Finch and how to succeed. This could work for a lot of things. Yeah. It's fun. So my audition cut is, no surprise, a Barbara Cook song. <laughs> He's only wonderful. He's only wonderful. He's only marvelous. He's only something that a heart must go on beating for. He's only wonderful and not much more. sweet so this song i would use for obviously any part that barbara cook played so anything in carousel really (laughs) um and also marion in music man but also guinevere in camelot really you could find a lot of places to use this song it i think it would be a really good thing to put in your book if you are at a loss for a kind of classic musicals that are not overdone yes i actually really love this song i hope that some of you do put it in your book yeah i'd love to hear it maybe i'll put it in my book for the one time someone asks me to be a soprano (laughs) (laughs) so now we've come to the point in the show where we ask should this musical still be produced one a two three yes sure Yes. Why not? Definitely. I mean, I, I have some reservations as to why not. Okay. The whole Arab thing. How do we do that? You can't overlook it. I do wonder, because there are a bunch of drafts of this, what like the newest draft has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd also be curious to know if when you get the rights to this show, you get the music that Najla sings. How does that work? I Because here's the thing. Even if you get someone... Of the right ethnicity. Someone trying to do the songs that she does is just going to feel weird. Because she was an artist. A true artist. And you could feel her art emanating from inside of her. Mm. And trying to create that and emulate it is not going to feel right. Which is going to make that character feel stilted or like stereotypes. And possibly bleed over into the other Arab characters and that is definitely not the point of this show and if you do this show you do have to pay very close attention to this because everything else is great mm-hmm. and i was really looking when we were reading it for something to be completely offended by and it didn't create this visceral reaction that being said i am not of middle eastern descent so i can't have the final say in this If you do produce this, have that 
point of view so you can figure it out for yourself. Have someone with that point of view so you can figure it out. So if you really liked this show and you want to put it on and you want to, you know, create some sort of kerfuffle about the government or whatever in it <laughs> and you want to hire a really cool dramaturg to work on it, I would love to see it done that way. You should look up the rights. Do we know how much they are? Unfortunately, for this show, we do not. Mm -mm. But we do know that you get them at yipharberg.com slash licensing. Yes, contact them. I saw that there have been a couple of productions in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And this is where they got the rights. So go ask. It doesn't hurt to ask. And it doesn't hurt to see what the show is now. What it looks like. And if you feel comfortable doing it, do it. Because I want to see it. Yeah, I love a bunch of these songs so much. Mm -hmm. I just hate that the show is, is fairly forgotten. Oh, it definitely is. And I feel like it's partially just because people were scared of it at the time mm -hmm. and they buried it alive yes they did much like burning the flahoolies while they were still laughing uh. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding that didn't happen what's more annoying my laugh or her laugh what the no <laughs> my laugh is like kind of similar to the flahoolies no, and i'm concerned no incorrecto well, now that the conversation has devolved into us comparing our laughs to a <laughs> mythical doll. Mythical? I don't even know if that's the right word. An imaginary doll. I think it's time for us to say goodbye. So that is all for today. Yes, thank you so, so much for listening. Yes, thank you. And if you liked what you heard, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening right now. But only if it's nice. If you want to email us any suggestions, you can do that at buriedbroadway at gmail.com. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Buried Broadway. If you want to support the podcast and get some bonus content, become a patron for as low as $1 a month at patreon.com slash buriedbroadway. We really appreciate all the support so far. Some people are tagging us in stories saying they're having a great time listening we love seeing that it really really brings a smile to our face and makes us feel like i don't know we're reaching people and getting the word out about some of these awesome and sometimes ridiculous shows so please help spread the word and tell your friends what, what will we dig, dig up next? next bye toodles happy holidays Happy New Year! I know we just played you some songs from the show. But that doesn't mean we have the rights, you know. We're educating you and ourselves, you see. With musicals lost in history. So please don't call your lawyers. That would kill the vibe. We just want to make podcasts. And keep Buried Broadway alive. So small potato, they won't let Flahooli in the theater. <laughs> <laughs>